Woohoo. It's going to be a good day. So we're going to say good morning. Brother Fritz and I are here and we're wondering where you all are. Where, where is everybody? So I'm going to plant this seed again in uh, just a couple of weeks, June 7th. We will uh, be recording this class, teaching this class at 7 a.m. I can hardly believe I'm even saying that. 7 o'clock. But uh, you are welcome to come. We'll have the uh, fellowship hall set up. We just have to scatter ourselves out a little bit. But uh, you are welcome to come. As of right now, you can't see this room completely, but it's set up with uh, all the stuff we're getting ready to ship out to uh, folks for Vacation Bible School. We ended up with a record enrollment, uh, over 450 kids from five different states, I think uh, 22 different cities, and uh, it's, it'll be something else. Uh, you can't see this, but in front of me there are little backpacks, uh, and the the um, the mascot for this year is a donkey. We're we're going to be taking a virtual trip to Israel, so uh, I'm actually looking at a basket because every kid is going to get their very own little donkey mascot donkey to have with them. Uh, throughout the Vacation Bible School week. So there's a real sense in which I can say this morning, I'm standing here teaching a bunch of asses, right? I mean, there's a sense in which you can say that. (laughs) Hey, the word quarantine, uh, you guys probably have heard this, but the uh, Latin root for the word quarantine uh, is 40. 40, quarantine, 40. So what does the Bible say about 40? The flood lasted 40 days. Forty years, Moses fled Egypt. Forty days, Moses stayed on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments. Exodus lasted 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Lent is 40 days. Forty days for a woman to give rest after giving birth, according to the Bible. So, um, a a group of theologians suggest the number 40 represents change. It's a, a time of preparing people to make fundamental changes. Uh, During this quarantine time, uh, there are changes going on around us in nature. Rivers are cleaning up. Vegetation is growing. The air is becoming cleaner because of less pollution. There's less theft and murder. Healing is happening. And we pray more people are turning to Jesus Christ. Remember, we are in the year 2020. 20 plus 20 equals 40. Also, 2020 is the year of the United States Census. Jesus Christ, the Savior, was born during a census. Lastly, 2020 is perfect vision. May our sight focus on the Lord, and may He give us perfect vision in this time of quarantine. I just thought that was kind of interesting that uh, somebody put that together. thought I'd share that this morning with us. Um, We're going to dig in. We're in chapter 5. We're picking up. uh, We'll do a little bit of recap on verse 12. And I thought, boy, you know, what we're seeing happen in our culture right now is perfect for this, uh, for for kind of recapping what's going on. Um, We're we're in Rome, and Paul is speaking to the church. Uh, He's trying to help a group of people get ready to go out and be who God has called us to be, missionaries, missionaries. But in order for me to be a missionary, guess what? I have to practice what is called incarnational ministry. I have to put myself 
not above you, but beside you. And in a very real sense, actually underneath you as your, your servant. Okay. Um, why is that a problem for the church in Rome? Well, remember with me that most of the Christians in Rome, as you begin reading this, this uh, letter Paul is writing, have come from where? They've come from the synagogues. And uh, if I grew up in a synagogue and I grew up as a Jew, do I see myself as standing beside Gentiles or take that a step further as somebody who comes up underneath to serve Gentiles? No, I do not. How do I see myself? I'm above them. I'm not beside them. I'm above them. I am, by blood rights, a child of Abraham, called underneath the covenant of God, and they are not, right? So I'm doing them a favor to come out and give give something to them that I, I already uh, believe I have. So part of Paul's work is to do what? Is to help uh, take that part of, of the the Jewish Christian and help me see that I can't be a missionary if I'm putting myself above you. I've got to recognize that I'm not different than you. That just because I have the blood of, of Abraham uh, doesn't mean that I'm spiritually better or more significant than you. That actually my blood goes all the way back to Adam. So the problem that Paul is dealing with, if I can give it a word, is uh, theological homostasis. Okay, now here's here's why that word is significant in our time today. Um, We are watching on television some some shift begin to happen uh, relative to our experience of quarantine and dealing with this virus. Now, in the grand scheme of things, we haven't been at it a long time. We really, we really have not. You know, a couple of months. But in that couple of months' time, people have been told, you got to stay at home, you can't get outside, and uh, you, you can't go anywhere, see anyone, do anything. And uh, so w- what, what are we starting to see now? If I can give it a word, revolt. We are not going to stay home. We are going to the beach. We're going to the malls. We're going out. Let us out of this thing. Well, what about this virus? Look, we did what you told us to do. We flattened your curve, so to speak, but get us out. We're ready to, to get out. And, and I relate to that. And the biggest part of me is just excited that we're going to start coming back together here in just a couple of weeks. Um, we are not made to be separated from one another. The the problem is a homeostatic problem. We like to live a certain way. And when change happens, um, what do we try to do? We try to put things back to the way that they were before. Uh, Homeostasis is what? Staying in the same place. Let's go back to the place we were before. And so we resist change. Um, I mean, we do. We fight it. Any kind of change. Uh, we want it to go back to the way that it was before. And really, isn't that what Paul's dealing with here? Theological homostasis. People <clears throat> have grown up with a theology inside of them, a way of seeing God, a way of believing in God, a way of seeing themselves. And and now they've become Christians. But that little Jew inside them wants to go back and kind of keep things the way that they were. And Paul says, we cannot go back. I need to have, you can't be a missionary 
if you live with that sense of being, I need you to see who you are. And so, in a very crafted way, Paul has been taking his chisel and his hammer and chiseling away um, that part of the Jewish Christian that wants to hang on to this, this thought that I'm superior than the people that I'm called to serve. Uh, as you get into chapter 5, uh, he begins to do this in a dramatic way by helping me see, if I'm listening to this letter, helping me see myself as what? The same as anyone else when it comes to sin and the result of sin in my life. And uh, so beginning in verse 12, he, he creates language that's going to help me see the impact of sin uh, on my life. And uh, through the law, help me see that, that as, as a sinner, what, what sin has caused me to, to need is a savior, someone from outside of myself who can do what I cannot do. Um, because of that, you know, I'm contending that the language of Romans 5, beginning verse 12, is, is from a theological perspective so important for our world today in the sense that it helps us really distinguish um, who, who we are as, as Christians in our world today and, and not only dis, distinguish who we are, uh, but, but maybe help give us some insights into to why there are differences of looking at uh, ourselves within Christianity. You know, why, why are there Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and free evangelicals and all of that? It's, this kind of gets to that because it's dealing with these fundamental, essential questions of what did sin do to me? Last week we covered this. I'm just going to recap it a little bit. Go to verse 12. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Remember last week we said, what kind of death is Paul talking about? Well, physical death is a given. Uh, there is no physical death uh, intended for Adam and Eve. Now, just think about that. They're, they're made in God's image to dwell upon a perfect world for eternity in his presence. Sometimes we forget this. Uh, we get this clue in Genesis 3. After sin takes place and Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden, we, we hear these words, and they heard God Walking in the garden. Just think about the significance of that. God on earth. And did that surprise him? No. What does that tell you? God present. There's a presence of God on a world. And there's an intention for that to be the case eternally. So physical death is the first, we would say, obvious result of sin. Now, as the curse is placed upon Adam and Eve, they will now physically die. But let's not stop there, because I think, again, what Paul intends to say here is deeper than that, that we're not just talking about physical death. But what happened to Adam and Eve is they were separated from God. Their relationship is broken and needs to be restored. They're no longer... Um, really under his, his hand of, um, of grace, they've separated themselves from his grace and they've come underneath his hand of condemnation as sinners. 
they are spiritually dead. I'm not saying that, that God is not graceful to them because he is. But what I'm saying is they've separated themselves relationally from him. So what does that have to do with me? Right? I mean, that's the question. Like, okay, Adam and Eve sinned. Big deal. What does it have to do with me? Well, continue to read that verse. It says, so death spread to all men. The Greek word there, dielthane. Death came to all men because all sinned. Notice that's past tense. In other words, that in the sin of Adam and Eve comes what? The fact that all are made sinners. We've all, because mom and dad sinned, we are sinners. Well, now wait a minute. Theologically, what are you saying here? So last week we kind of went through this. You know, the Catholics are over here. They'd say, well, here's what it means. It means that, that, that Adam and Eve's sin damaged us spiritually. And it, it caused us to become a people who are, we're, we're, sin, we're born sinful creatures. But there's a little bit of us that can cooperate with God. And uh, that little bit of us that cooperates with God uh, throughout a person's lifetime, you're going to try to grow that. And you're going to grow it through the sacraments of the church. That's the Roman Catholic Church today. Uh, why is it important for you to be a Catholic? So you can come to our church. You can get grace. That good part of you can work together with God. You can work out your salvation. You can earn it. Is that what he's saying here? Evangelicals, on the other hand, would say, well, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I mean, you're, you're kind of right, Catholics. That when Adam and Eve sinned, it affected all of us. So we come into this world inclined to sin. Inclined to sin. But we're really not responsible for our sin until we reach an age where we can account for it. Where I actually understand, oh man, I guess that was a sin. And so there's a period of time in our life where we're under the grace of God, we're not really accountable for our sin until we reach that age of accountability. We're under God's grace, but we're inclined to sin. So, so um, what happens when I reach that age of accountability is I now need to make a decision in my life. Am I just going to keep sinning? Or am I going to turn to Jesus Christ and take, take hold of him? And so there's this, this, this underlying belief that within me is the capacity, once I understand who I am and what sin is, the capacity that I have is the capacity to just say, oh, I am going to choose no longer to just put my inclination to sin into practice. I'm going to choose not to sin because I'm going to take hold of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ and, and I'm going to ask him to help me Help me in my life uh, keep, keep from being a sinner and help me live the way he wants me to live. There's still this underlying sense theologically of what we would call synergism. Uh, sin at the same time, ergos, working. I work together with God. In other words, the Spirit's working in me. Uh, it's not so much that I'm, I'm earning my salvation, uh, God earned my salvation through Jesus. But, but what I am doing is I'm, I'm kind of working together with God. He's helping me to be the person I'm supposed to be. 
uh, to be obedient to him, to live a life of obedience. And, and living a life of obedience, that's, that's what righteousness is all about. That's, that's kind of the, the theology here. So they're looking at the same words, Catholics are and, and evangelicals are, but they're coming up with two different ideas of what, what was the impact of sin. Martin Luther steps into the fray, and again, what is his what is his his position? He looks at these words and he says, "No, wait a minute. You can't read Romans five and conclude that we are anything else but spiritually dead as a result of Adam and Eve's sin." Uh, in other words, what is the impact of sin? It made me not just have an inclination to sin. It made me dead to even desiring a relationship with Jesus Christ. Dead to being able to do anything to earn my own salvation. Dead to being able to cooperate with God in any way, including the ability to even make a decision to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. In other words, Luther says, listen, dead is dead. And of course, we cross-reference cross, cross here Ephesians chapter 2. We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sin, and thus separated from God. In other words, the picture that, that Luther painted is, I don't come into this world and, and, um, and just want to have a relationship with God. I want to be God. I don't want to serve God. I want to be served Right, uh, and so as I become aware of, I, I mean, am I a sinner before I'm aware of of my sin? Yes, I am. <laughs> I was born sin, a sinner, dead to relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I as I get a little bit older, a Luther a Luther would say, "You're telling me that this kid who just did this horrible thing because they they don't know the law that they're not responsible. Of course, we're responsible for it." We're under condemnation for our sin. And until you can get that, you're always going to believe that you have the capacity to work together with God in some way towards, toward your salvation or towards being a righteous person. And Luther says, it's not true. Just look at the words here. Death spread to all men because all men sin. We become spiritually dead through the sin of Adam and Eve. So much so, jump down to verse 14, that death reigned. Death reigned, had, had dominion from Adam all the way to Moses, though our sinning uh, has been different than the sin of Adam. I have my, my own sins, but I inherited from Adam, my, my blood father, the the. This, a, a sin that has caused me to, to be born separated from God. So, again, put yourself in the place of the people reading or hearing this letter for the first time. What's he really saying? Again, I want you, you're going to be missionaries here in Rome, not just to Jewish synagogues, but to Gentiles. And, and here's what you need to see you're not different than them. Every single human being ever born. All of us were born separated from God. And so now put yourself beside other people. 
Put yourself underneath them, a servant to them, to bring them the hope that is needed. Well, what is that hope? Well, he turns to that hope, verse 15, uh, by using language, again, that, that reiterates what it means now to be restored to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Just kind of come up underneath those words again. The free gift. The free gift. Did you earn the gift? No. Did you do anything to say, hey, I I want to have that gift? No. God came to you when you did not deserve his gift of salvation. His gift of faith. He came to you. Who is the one that seeks? I'm seeking God. No, listen. God is seeking you and continues to do that, is doing that today. Uh, He brings with him this gift. And that gift is the gift of faith that leads to salvation. And here's what Paul is saying is that gift surpasses any of my sins. I'm just going to say this up front and then we'll dive through it. But here's what I love about this next section of of Romans 5. Throughout my life, uh, I have had um, the opportunity to get into conversations with so many people who um, want to believe, they want to believe that God could love them, but they don't. They don't believe it. Here's why. We have an enemy who likes to stand over us with the law and point to the law and say, look, you've broken it. Sometimes in pretty big ways. And I have to tell you, I've I've stood with um, women who've said to me, look, I I don't think God could love me. Why not? I had an abortion when I was young. I I killed my baby. There's just no forgiveness for that. Uh, I've stood with men. I, I had an affair. Uh, there's no way God could continue to love me. Um, there's that sense inside all of us that says, can God really forgive this? And what I love about this next section is, it's, it's Paul's intention to say, there's no sin that wasn't overcome, right, through the work of Jesus Christ. As bad as the pronouncement is that we are under condemnation, So much more can we say, but God's grace is bigger than that condemnation. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven, minus one, namely the rejection of the Spirit himself. So this is how he's entering into it. The free gift is not like the trespass. Continue for, if many died due to one man's trespass, much more, much more, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In other words, who is this gift for? It's just not for Abraham's children. It's for Adam's children. It's for all men. And it abounds. It's bigger than uh, any sin. Uh, Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
brought condemnation. Uh, again, it's just a reiteration. What, what did that, what did Adam's sin do? It brought condemnation. By the way, my pastor, I always, always liked to see him. He didn't, he didn't pull many punches. And uh, I remember him one time taking this, this verse and uh, having us look at it. He says, just, just look at this word. He says, the judgment following one trespass, Adam's trespass, what did it bring to us? And uh, the Greek word here is katakrinma. It brought condemnation. He changed the word just a little bit, and it's always stuck in my head. He says, here's what I want you to write down. It brought condemnation. That, that made a difference for me. I remember as a kid thinking, what, what did you just say? Did you just use the, the D word? He did. Because he wanted it to, to sink into us. That the trespass of Adam, what it brought to me is condemnation. You are with damnation. You're separated from me. That's what it did. Don't minimize it. Don't try to suggest to yourself that, you, that you're good. You're not. Don't try to, yourself, to suggest to yourself, I can earn my way. You cannot. This is what it brought. So it brought condemnation. He says, but the free gift following many trespasses, what did it bring? And our word here is what? Justification. The actual Greek word here is dikaioma. And uh, it's the same root basis for the word righteousness, dikaiosune. And, and when you translate it, our term justification um, really has underneath it this idea of what does it mean to be right with God? And uh, I, I like the term justification. It's, it's the word we use to, to translate dikaioma. Uh, because it has in it the, you know, the, uh, uh, that, that sentence, justification, just as if. Justification, just as if. I had not sinned, just as if. I had not sinned. What does is, what is the gift of grace do for me? When I am brought into faith, God gives me Jesus' righteousness. It's through the work of Jesus Christ that I become right with God, as though I had never sin. This is why there is no sin that cannot be covered underneath the grace of Jesus Christ. Go to verse 17. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. I want you to, to circle these next words. Much more will those who have received the abundance of graces grace and the free gift of righteousness, look at these words, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Remember the Jews, what they really wanted? To reign in life equals to have dominance in this physical world in a physical, temporal sense. The Jews wanted theological homeostasis. God, look at Rome. Look at who's ruling the world right now. These evil, nasty, ungodly, uncircumcised, without the law, people. That's wrong. Put it back to the way it should be. Restore things to what they looked like when David built the city of God and lifted us Jews up to our right place 
where we would have reign in this world. Now, is that what, is that what Paul is talking about here? Not at all. I always think about this. The term life in Greek is the word zoe. And it always has a physical sense to it. But what a lot of people forget is it also has an eternal sense to it. In other words, every human being that I look at, I look at and I think, think about them from two, two very basic perspectives. You have life. The way. You're, you're physically alive. You're breathing. But you're not always going to be. Your body, the, the, con- the container, it's going to die. But part of you will never die. That's your soul. And so it's right for me to look at another human being and say, you're going to live forever. I, in fact, I love doing that. Just in, just in a conversation with someone, hey, have you ever thought about this? You're going to live forever. What do you mean I'm going to live forever? I mean, you are going to live forever. Your soul, you have a soul, it will not die. And that, that, that's, there's no question mark around that for anyone. 100% of every human being that have ever been born in all of history, they are going to live forever. The question mark always becomes, where will you live forever? So something happens when, through faith, I receive the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ as my own, as if I had never sinned. Something happens to me. What, what is it? I begin to become a part of a kingdom that is reigning in this world today. But it doesn't feel like it. You know why? Because it is a spiritual reign, not a physical temporal reign. And for me, it means that we as followers of Jesus Christ are part of a kingdom that God is building right here, right now in this world invisibly as he brings people into what? Into relationship with him. We reign in a way that's not above people, but we reign in the same way Jesus Christ did. Who was he? He was a king of everything, the creator of everything. And yet he humbled himself, became a human being, walked with other human beings, and washed their feet. And more than that, said, I will serve you with my blood. I will go to a cross for you. Now feel the missionality of these words. Here's what, here's what Paul is calling the, the Roman church to do. Just take, take off that old Jew inside of you. Get rid of it. And, and walk together with Jesus Christ in a way that represents a kingdom that God is building. And I want you to, to, to be uh, people who reign beside a Jesus who did what served others with their very lives. And so what, how should you be thinking about these nasty, uncircumcised, ungodly Romans? They're not different than you. They're the same. Same blood, same need. And so what should you do? What should you do? Go out and serve them. Love them. Pray for them. Speak to them. Bring the gospel to them. I was thinking about uh, this, you know, just uh, this week, how our world today has become so dichotomized, uh, both within and outside of the church, particularly uh, within the political realm, 
that somehow we've gotten the idea that it's okay to hate other people. To dis, not just to disagree with somebody, but to vehemently disagree with them. To the extent that you, you, you feel that it's your right to, to cut them down, to, to verbally dissect them, and, and within you there is no sense of loving that other person. Listen, Paul, when he died, died at the hands of people in Rome. I can take you to the prison where he spent his last days. When he died, he didn't die cursing the people that killed him. He died praying for them. He died excited. You know why? Because my reign in this world is getting ready to become a reign in eternity with, with my Lord Jesus Christ. For me to live, for me to live is is Jesus Christ, and for me to die, that's gain. Is today the day you're going to kill me? Praise God. Praise God. Today, I get to die. I'm praying for you, brother, as you get ready to take my life. I'm praying for you as you get ready to drop that sword across my head. I'm praying for you because I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Do you? Let me tell you what made, what made Paul so powerful. It wasn't that he was a brilliant theologian. It's that, that he was knocked down to his knees and blinded by a God who he was blinded to and called by grace into eternity. And Paul never forgot that. I know who I am. I don't deserve any of this. And yet I know who I am in Jesus Christ. And this is what he's asking the church. Put off this worldly sense that it's okay to hate another human being. It is not. What, it, what God calls us to do is to, to in a very real sense, and, and until, you, until you get this in here, in you, you won't be a missionary to love other people the same way the king of the universe has loved us. To reign in life is to walk with a God who put himself underneath those who he came to serve. We'll finish here. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Uh, just as we were all made sinners, we all have in Jesus Christ the hope, right, of living for eternity with Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus didn't die for some people on the cross. He says, yeah, there's a few good ones out there. I'll die for them. No, he died for all people. Verse 19, as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay? Sometimes we, we focus on the cross as the instrument that God uses to attain our salvation. It's one part of what God uses. There's, there's, there's three different parts that you always need to keep in mind. His life, his obedience to the law is transferred to us so that... When I stand before God in eternity and he would look at me and say, well, did you obey my law in every way? I can say through Jesus Christ, his obedience, not mine, his obedience has become mine through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. We are made right with God. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. So what about the law? Where does it fit into all this? 
Well, it, it increases the trespass. What does it mean? The law makes me sin? No. What it means is the law clearly shows me my sin. That's what he means by increase the trespass. It doesn't make me sin more. I don't just read the Ten Commandments and say, Woo! Man, am I going to go sin like crazy today? No. But when I read the Ten Commandments and I actually learn what they mean, I say to myself, You shall not murder. Why haven't I killed anybody? What does this mean? What do you mean? What does it mean? And all of a sudden you begin to realize that Jesus, when he was asked the question, said, I tell you, if you hate a brother, you've committed murder. Uh Uh-oh. Now all of a sudden, there's the place of the law. It shows me my need for a Savior. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll finish chapter 5 there. Uh, Get ready for chapter 6 here next week. Uh, Here we are just a couple weeks away from being back together. And I'm looking forward to that. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close out today, just give you thanks for a word that challenges us, that uh, causes us to recognize who we are. And we really are living in a time, it's interesting, where in some ways we, we've allowed ourselves to put ourselves above others. And, and even to go so far as to, to maybe even hate others. And yet, Lord, you've not called us to that. You've called us to be a people who know who we are, undeserving of that gift that you've given to us, and desirous for all men to know you the way we do. And so, Lord, give us missionary hearts that would desire to bring your gift of salvation to the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.